You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. folks, and welcome to episode 68 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for April 2019, and I'm your host, Bart Pushatz. Joining me today, I have a panel that is small in number, but large in quality and fun. So um, joining me from a very, very, very long way to my west, we have Linda Goucher with us again. Hi, Linda. Hello, Bart. Good to be here. It is, I am delighted to have you because, of course, there's been an earnings call, so your wisdom is in a high premium in case I say something silly. Um, so I'm not concerned about that, Bart. You do an extremely good job, better than you give yourself credit for. Well, better than I used to do, and that's largely because you took the time to educate me, which I'm eternally grateful for. Ah, thank you. Uh, and then from my eastern coast, as it were, we're also joined for, I think, the first time on the Apple show, we're joined by Ewan Rankin from the British Tech Network. Hi, Ewan. Yeah, you've only had on the network before once, and I started a fight then, so. Yeah, that was the photography show, though, so. That was, yeah. <laughs> so this is your first time talking Apple for us, for because I call it the Mac show, but it's not, it's the Apple show. Um, so we have, um, actually, since you're first time here on the Apple show, we should take a moment to let the listeners sort of put you into context. So you're the head honcho in something called the British Tech Network. So what do you guys do? Um, we've done a lot over the years. We've been going for 11 years this year. Um, and it's mostly just, um, it's, we're not, we don't take ourselves too seriously. It's uh, mates down the pub just talking about tech. Um, we've got a big tech show, um, which is just all of the tech stories of the week, except Apple. And then we've got the Mac show, which is all the Apple stories. Then there's a news show, which comes out every day, which is done by a guy called uh, Carl Swagger, who's in the Philippines. Um, there's an occasional photo show that pops up, and soon there should be a Microsoft show coming. Oh. And also the Pocket show will be making a return, which is all about the device in your pocket. Excellent. So basically, lots of geeky tucky fun. Yeah, yeah. We, like I said, it's it's sometimes it's informed, sometimes it isn't. We've got some really good people on who've been Apple geniuses and things like that, um, or sales managers at Apple. Um, but we've also got some people in who've never done anything other than be a photographer, like myself. And that's it. Uh, yeah, and it, it, sometimes you have idiots like me on, so you know the the, the standard varies. Yeah, um, I'm actually, not really the... I wasn't agreeing with you there, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, one of the things is I, I don't really generally do video podcasts, but I make an exception for you. Um, so if anyone wants to see what I look like, whenever I show up on BTN is one of the few times you can actually see. You'd have been great, mate. You just need to make your bed. Yeah, I know. I forgot last time that the, the, the field of view on my webcam was a little wider than I thought. Still. Oh, dear. All's well that ends well. Anywho, let us get, actually, let's not get stuck into this month's news. Let's follow up on a few little things that we talked about last month. So I'm calling it the keyboard kerfuffle because I like alliteration. But uh, we talked in detail last time about the keyboard kerfuffle because it had recently made the news with Joanna Stern having had her new one go kerpoot. Uh, there been some more developments in the last month. Um, completely non-scientific survey. Um but the guys over in Basecamp put up a little poll in their Slack, which actually you and you were saying you did something similar to, not about keyboards, though. Um, 
And well, we, anecdotally, we've had quite a few people who've had issues with keyboards, and poor old James Rickards, who's an animator who works with us, has had uh, every machine since 2015 through Jeez. to... Uh, uh, he's had problems with logic boards, he's had problems with displays. He, it's been a, a, a rolling turf for him. Oh, no. So, um, no, we've got quite a lot of anecdotal evidence of the keyboard issue. Yeah, well, see, I was all smug for ages that my 12-inch MacBook was perfect, uh, but my V-keys f***ed. That's our first time in 68 episodes I've sworn. I know and I'm not going to edit it because I'm too lazy. Um, Sorry, people, I won't do it again. Yeah, no, my V keys died. So after all this being smug, I now have a a bogey keyboard too. Poop. Anyway, um, when they did it over on Basecamp, they found that of their developers, 30% of them had current macbook keyboard issues not have had keyboard issues at some stage but right then at that moment had a dodgy keyboard and this issue is so widespread that there's actually an app for that you can buy an app called unshaky which is a keyboard utility that sort of filters keyboard signal to strip out obvious duplicates um i guess it can't put in missing keystrokes that would be impressive magic um so that's kind of a worrying sign that someone's went to the bother of writing that app. Uh, but a slight bit of good news is reporting that Apple have changed their instructions internally and it is now a next-day turnaround to get your MacBook keyboard fixed. They're adding the tools for doing the fixing into more of their stores so you won't have to be without your laptop for a couple of days when your keyboard dies. Yeah, small, small, small silver lining. I really, really hope they announce some new Pro Max, say, round about this time next month. And that they tell us how much effort they've put into making their keyboards not suck. And that it's true. I think that anecdotally, again, I mean, I've heard of a lot of issues over the last two years with the keyboard, but those are exceptionally fewer now, if that's a magnitude of fewer. Yeah. Um, there's, there's not as many people complaining about keyboards errors at the moment. Um, so I think they have, all the people that I know who had keyboard errors haven't complained again. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah, the, in in my experience, um, I've had almost nobody in my personal experience, and uh, but I'm I'm using an older laptop, an older MacBook mm. Pro, so um, you know I wouldn't personally have an experience with it at all. But I hear a lot of it in the news, so it's out there. As I, people that I know, I guess have been lucky. Yeah, and I mean it's it's obviously not the case that every single person gets it, but. At this stage, if anyone gets it at all, they're not going to keep their mouth shut because it's it's such a talking point now. So we are going to hear it, but it it it's just too many, you know. And it, it's the keyboard the keyboard's kind of critical to a laptop. That's that's why you have a laptop and not an iPad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway. Uh, Another bit of follow-up. We talked last time, uh, Spotify had just made a big splash by complaining about Apple. while things have developed, the Netherlands have opened a parallel investigation into um, into Apple, along with the one that we assumed the EU would open after Spotify's complaint. And just as we were going to sh- going to air, news came out that the Financial Times are reporting that the EU are indeed going to move ahead and actually open an investigation in response to Spotify's complaint. So stay tuned. I think you and you were joking in the pre-show. Three years from now, we might just get some sort of information. Yeah, it's not going to be quick, is it? It's not going to be quick. So you stick a pin in that one and make sure it's a very long pin. 
Um, we've covered quite a few negative stories in the past couple of months about scammers finding unique and interesting ways to get people to sign up for s- subscriptions in the App Store that they didn't really intend to and then repeat subscriptions uh, and then basically extort, you know, defrauding people of money. Um, well, Apple have put in a very simple but very effective um, mechanism to stop that happening anymore. There's now an additional confirmation screen for signing up to a subscription and it summarizes the key points as in this is a subscription, it will rebuild every blah and every time it rebuilds it will be blah amount of money and it will not stop unless you explicitly stop it. And then another OK button. So if that doesn't put a nail in the coffin of this kind of abuse, I don't know what will. I think anyone who who still ends up inadvertently signing up needs to learn to read or not give their phone to their kids. One of those two things. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, um, GT Advanced is a name we've not heard in quite some time, but they were all the rage for months and months and months and months in terms of Apple news because they were a company that were offering Apple... Good price sapphire glass, which Apple definitely wanted. And it turns out they were very poor at delivering such glass to the point where Apple eventually ended the contract. There was a whole bunch of court cases which Apple prevailed in in the end. And things have gone from bad to worse for GT Advanced. Um, the US Securities and Exchange Commission have charged the company and their CEO with fraud for misleading investors to about the extent to which they could meet Apple's demands for sapphire glass. Um, the only small silver lining is this is the same company whose factory Apple repurposed as a data center, providing some local employment after the whole thing went sour. Right. So that's the end of the follow-up. So notable numbers, just very quickly fly through. This is more for anyone who's interested more than one I think we necessarily want to dwell on. But um, some interesting reporting shows what Apple have spent their lobbying money on. And actually, the interesting thing is that you can compare what Apple versus Amazon versus Facebook versus Google versus Microsoft spend their money on. And it's very interesting that the companies that make their money off people's privacy have different priorities than the companies that make their money off of selling people things. So Apple, Amazon and Microsoft, their biggest thing that they lobbied the government about was tax. Whereas Facebook and Google, it was privacy. Um, Apple's number two priority was patents, and then their number three priority was privacy, although I think they were lobbying in the opposite direction to Facebook. And then copyright, cybersecurity, and then at that stage, you're down into the tiny little numbers. So it's, as I say, it's interesting to see what Apple are... And this is only the US numbers. This is what Apple are spending money on in the US, lobbying US Congress people. Bart, I have a question about Mm -hmm. this. I agree with your observations. The next one down, though, is technical barriers to trade at 21%. What is that? I Do you think have that any might idea? be, dear Mr. Trump, no sodding tariff war with China, please. <laughs> okay, well, what if it was barriers to trade, but why technical? No, I think that's money. That's getting money back into the country without having to pay high endorsement charges on import yeah, of uh, a technical. Funds. As in a technicality or technical as in technological? That's the, that's my question. It's not I don't clear. Know. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's technological. I think that's barriers to trade. Um, it's the technical right. aspect of getting money in and out of the country and product in and out of the country without paying excessive amounts of tax. It yeah. just, it sounds, uh, I mean, there was in the U.S. a big tax bill that gave um, 
the companies largely what they wanted. So, and I'm not sure exactly what time span this is. So that uh, this is 2005 to sense. present. Yeah. Okay. So that could um, well be the lobbying anyway, in the lead up to said big tax bill from a year ago. I would think ago. that would be the ta- you know number one the tax. Well, so, yeah, I, so be, anyway, I, it's not it's not clear to me what 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 that is. So it's okay if no you know it, it wasn't clear to me. So if nobody else knows that makes three of us. I mean, and yeah, perhaps, pretty much. Per, perhaps somebody in the audience would have information about that and uh, can pass that on, or maybe I can. I have some buddies over at uh, the Mac Observer, so I can ask. Yeah, I would be curious, so. actually, because if you do find something, we can pop it in as a follow-up next month, because it is, it is an odd term, technical barriers to trade. It's obviously a nerd hat, but which nerd hat? Fins, your yeah. fin sign nerd hat? It's, ambigu- it's ambiguous, as, as uh, Ewan points out, yeah. yeah. If only there was a place we could go and look for it, <laughs> that it would tell us that it's a category of non-tariff barriers to trade, and they're widely divergent measures that countries use to negotiate and regulate markets, protecting their customers or preserve their natural resources. Among I think other that was objectives. English. Well, that's it's what it says on Wikipedia. It's what it is. <laughs> no, it's, it's what's on Wikipedia, so it's got nothing to do with the legal okay. frameworks at all. Um, uh, uh, I'll report back at the end of the podcast, having done a bit of research and not said much for the last hour. Okay. And I, cool. I don't want to get us too far into the weeds, but I looked at that and went, huh, the rest of these make sense. That one doesn't to me. Yeah, but I guess when you um, think of an Apple supply chain, like to make an iPhone, you start off with glass yeah. coming from America. Um, I think the CP, the, you know, there's quite a lot actually made in America, shipped over to China, assembled in China, shipped back to the US. It, it, there's, there's an awful lot of border crossing that happens. True. So, so it's very important to Apple that that gets a flow in, a, in as clean a way as possible. Apparently, there's an international agreement to technical barriers to trading um, that's overseen by the World Trade Organization. Okay, um, very good. So it's, it's yeah, a, put, yeah. It's a technical thing to do with trading. Um, uh, it's well, it's, it's it, there's a Wikipedia article on technical barriers to trade, and there's a reference to the agreement in that. So cool. awesome, thank you, Ewan. Good man. I like having you on, Ewan. This uh, we've never had such efficient fact checking before. Much appreciated. <laughs> I talk absolute <laughs> rubbish during our podcasts. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see you've decided that the moment to, to change is right here, right now. I, I appreciate it. I always get really guilty when I get other people's podcasts, so I don't, I don't come across as a buffoon. Get it on me, own. Well, <laughs> the next story then is one out of the UK, because apparently you guys have a law that requires companies to release figures on their gender pay gap, which is interesting. And um, if you look at the number in isolation, Apple don't sound so good if their gender pay gap is 15%, which sounds a bit poor, but last year's number was 25%. So I guess the trend is very strongly in the correct direction. Uh, You can't do anything but applaud um, our government for making people uh, publish data on it. And you would hope that if if the company is publishing its own data, then it wouldn't be falsifying it. Um, it would be truthful. Um, uh, I do get a bit suspicious about whether people are doing exactly the same jobs um, mm. identically to, to get this figure out, um, but uh, or whether it's done via a pay grading system. Uh, but if it's a graded system, then and people are doing exactly the same job, there should be zero gap. Um, and if Apple are saying that there is a, a gender pay gap, I'm actually surprised at that because I would have thought that was one of the companies in this country that would have taken a positive step towards ensuring that they didn't do that. 
But I, I don't think, I think it's like you're if you do the same job, you get paid less. I think it's the case that over the length of your career, you'll end up being paid less because you are likely not to get promotions and stuff like that. I think that's how that the pay gap exists these days, because explicit discrimination is illegal. Well, yeah, no. wait, wait, wait. Let me give some information on that. If a person, mm. if you've got two people and they're uh, coders, let's mm. say, uh, the and they're they're ranked the same, the person within that rank that has been there the longest will likely have the highest pay level. Right. So because yeah, so that that my suspicion based on my own experiences is that that's where your pay gap is. It's not. It's it's you need to advance these people, or it could be the quality of the coding. Let's say the quality of the, and, and I'm just choosing coding because that would be an obvious example where well, there, you know. So. There was also um, a pay gap in so. who doesn't doesn't get bonuses, which is interesting because that, yeah, that, that implies a cultural subconscious bias, perhaps. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Could be. Anyway, what's interesting is 15% is obviously not perfect, but it's a lot better than 25% one year ago. So clearly the fact that they've been forced to measure it obviously incentivizes you to deal with it, which is the point really of this kind of law, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think the problem you've got with that, as, as, as Linda's just said, though, is there's too many, um, I think uh, trade agreements is probably more straightforward because uh, yeah. there's so many biases towards um, the job that people do, the job that people have historically done. Um, uh, if someone's in a sales job versus a non-sales job, which then, you know, uh, a secretarial role versus a, a sales role, which the sales role would have more opportunity for bonus, whereas a secretarial role wouldn't, whether it's fulfilled with a man or a woman. And then the gravitation of men more towards certain roles and women towards certain roles that, that then inhibit their, uh, their early potential. There's a lot of of what ifs that go into these figures. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of factors, a lot of cultural legacy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good to see it measured. Um, the other thing, totally. so the next notable number I have is Piper Jaffrey do this thing twice a year where they take stock with teens. And so they survey US teens to figure out what products they are interested in, what they actually own, and also what they're intending to buy next. And uh, the survey found that 83% of US teens own an iPhone and 86% expect their next phone to be an iPhone. Those are basically extremely good numbers, marginally better than they were this time six months ago when they were also extremely good numbers. So there's no sign, basically, of the iPhone weakening in the US. (laughs) But which iPhone is going to be their next one? That's the big question. Because if you look at iPhone sales down 17%, was it? Um, people are holding onto their phones for a while. So US teens uh, are probably fairly fluid in, in terms of capital, but I don't think moms and dads are buying them new iPhones on a year-by-year basis, are they, clearly? No, I mean, I think most carrier contracts are 24 months these days, and I think a lot of people will hold on to a phone longer. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's kind of part of the maturing of the phone as a, as a device. The, the, I think the bulk of that uh, 17% figure that you quote you and though has to do with uh, overseas and not US. Although I agree that probably it's highly unlikely that most teens get a new uh, iPhone every year. Yeah. I mean, we're, myself, I, I've spent quite happily with my seven up until um, I got this, the 10s Max. Um, and to be honest, the bigger driver for getting the 10s Max was that my wife was complaining about the four that she had um, and saying, can I, can't I have an upgrade? I said, we can have an upgrade. What do you want? Oh, I don't want, I'll just have yours. That's fine. And it's like, well, you can have a new one if you want. Said, no, I'm happy with yours. It's fine. Just, you know, you want the better one. So you have the better one and I'll have your seven. And I would have kept the seven, I have to say. I would have been quite happy with the seven still for another year. 
Yeah, I, I was on a, I was on a seven for a long time. I'm now on a ten, um, and I'll be happy to stay on that for a while yet too. Because yeah, yeah. they're just a mature products. They don't need to be changed every year, which is fine. Um, finally, the last number that caught my eye is that. Uh, so this this story kind of took a few turns. So it first came out as a wow, Apple spend a lot of money with Amazon. So apparently, Apple's monthly bill from Amazon for their cloud services is thirty million dollars, which is. A lot more than I spend on cloud services in your average month. It's a couple of terabytes, isn't it? <laughs> Whatever comes after tera, yeah. Um, I mean, Google's cheaper. Yeah, well, yeah, but I don't think Apple want to put their data with Google. <laughs> I don't think that would fit quite so well. Um, so that was sort of the first way the story broke. It's like, wow, Apple's spending a fortune. And then someone did a bit of follow-up research. It's like, oh, that's half what they were spending last year. They're actually working really hard to get more stuff into their own data centers. So um, that's that means it was sixty million last year, which is even more impressive. But yeah, it's it, this whole iCloud thing, serious business. This. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't have a lot of information about you know like concrete URLs or anything like that. But what struck me about the article from CNBC is that there was no mention of Microsoft's Azure, and I don't see why. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't have a uh, deep level of knowledge in that area, but it sort of surprised me that I, I, you would think Apple would be spreading it across Azure. And um, um, Microsoft, the, the, the nine to five Mac article does say Azure and Google. Ah, Chrome it does. Okay. Well. Yeah, I, I think it's as you've just said there. I think it, you're on the money there. I think that's. I think if you're going to have a cloud service these days, the one thing you want to do is diversify and, and spread wide and far, so that you, you're not. Certainly, in, even in one basket, you're in you're in multiple baskets. Right, absolutely, especially yeah, there. I mean, totally. Apple always does that. You know, if they can have more than one supplier, but especially in that context, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I really value the iCloud service I've got, and I've got a lot of documents that I share with people, and and I'd be uh, including my, I put my accounts in the cloud as well, and I would be really uh, upset if I lost it. So I do value the fact that it's you know on my hard drive in the cloud and in the cloud in several locations. Yeah, and it's actually a robust and reliable service these days, which is quite Jesus. impressive. Yeah, like, totally. used to be really quite poopy. Yeah. Right, I'm going to quickly move us into Apple HR news, just fly through quite of these quickly. Um, we'll start with the bad news. Three members of Apple's industrial design team are leaving, so it's a fairly significant turnover there. Um, but meanwhile, coming in the door to replace them, we have Apple have hired Ian Goodfellow, who's one of Google's top AI experts. Apple have hired indie film producer Molly Thompson to head up documentaries for Apple TV+. And Apple have hired a Lionsgate veteran named Danielle De Palma, and she is coming in as film and TV series marketing executive. De Palma. That's how Any I hints? pronounce it. De Palma. No, no, I'm thinking, what's his name, De Palma? Brian De Palma. Film and, is he, she related? I have no idea. I don't even know this person you speak of. That's Brian another one for you to look up, Ewan. Okay. <laughs> Get your Google foo on. <laughs> if only there was a place on the internet where we could go and find that. I'm going to, Brian De Palma, I'm not, I can't tell you what film he's made. Uh, is it Brian? Brian De Palma, yeah. Uh, just talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Anyway, yes, I was going to say, how's it move into our first main story? <laughs> it's a great show, isn't it? You and Googling. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
you and Googling in the background is is fine. Um, so the big story of the month that they're then giving top billing to is, would have ordinarily... It was a story I expected to sit in legal latest every month for the next 20 years, like Apple v. Samsung. Um, but it got sold much more quickly. That is the end of Apple v. Qualcomm. Um, they went to court for a day to give opening arguments. Someone obviously didn't think it went particularly well because the next day they decided that settling would be a good idea after all. Um, the month actually started with Huawei being open to selling its 5G <laughs> modem business to Apple, but that sort of seems a bit irrelevant now. What the? Please. No, that's me. Apple okay. versus Qualcomm. Can you kill that? You two are old enough to remember this, are you? No. Soap. <laughs> it's a theme song from Soap. Apple versus Qualcomm. Ah, okay. Oh, I see. As in Soap. It's about, it's, yeah, exactly. And it's like Apple versus Samsung. And, oh, man, it's gone on forever. Well, this one Confused, much... you will be. It's much quicker yeah, than there's... Apple v. Samsung. Yeah. Yeah, much quicker. But it's they've all, they've argued about something for forever, haven't they? Yeah, for a while. Yeah. So, um, go ahead. Okay, so the way it ended, the the end of the story, is, as much as we know, is that they are dismissing all litigation worldwide between each other. They have agreed to a six-year patent licensing agreement with the option of a two-year extension, and they have reached a multi-year chipset supply agreement. Um, no more details on that. And Apple are to pay Qualcomm some sort of amount. They didn't specify in the press release, but uh, Qualcomm then had their earnings uh, a few days later, and their earnings are recording four billion revenue from Apple. So one presumes that's the settlement, which is a little bit smaller than I think some people were guessing it would be at five billion. But four billion seems to be what it what it's worked out as, as best we can tell. Um, and then. As as we were digesting this major development, um, the next day, literally the next day, Intel decided they had uh, had enough and they sodded off out of the 5G modem market. Um, apparently, Apple had discussed buying Intel's modem chip business. Uh, Apple apparently succeeded in poaching one of their big lead engineers. Um so, yeah, Intel have given up on 5G. Uh, Apple have settled with Qualcomm and entered into a multi-year agreement to buy their stuff. So I guess 5G is coming to the iPhone, but certainly not in the way I would have thought. I think Intel have done quite a smart thing there because um, 5G's got a lot of hurdles to get over to really get to market and to actually provide a valuable service over and above what we currently get with 4G, especially in the rural market. Um, so I think Intel have looked at that. I think their statement says it all. It's, it's we don't see how we're going to make any money out of it as it currently stands. Well, their uh, sorry, go on, Linda. Their stock, Intel stock, went up on that announcement, which yeah. tells you that the market Whoa. generally thinks, yeah, they made a smart move to get out. Yeah, that I think is. there's uh, there's serious issues with five G, not just to do with security and Huawei stuff. I think it's to do with the fact that. The speeds are really fantastic, wonderful, but the amount of repeaters you've got to have, amount of base stations you've got to have, urban environments you're going to do fine, but if you start to get anything up that's solid, it's going to start blocking signals and inhibiting speeds quite severely and quite quickly, and I think there's an awful lot of hurdles to get over in implementation with it yet. 
Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I mean, it's a buzzword everyone needs to have on their phone. If Apple don't have a 5G-capable phone, it will look terrible. But at the same time, I think it's a long way off being actually useful to any actual human beings. Yeah. Well, we, we, we've uh, developed a, a, a system called Sentry, which um, we've badged as 5G ready. And it basically means we've got the ability to stick a 5G dongle in it to, to connect to the internet if we need to. Um, there is the 5G dongle to use, but it's ready. <laughs> Well, this is like, which of the American carriers is it have decided to call their fancy 4G, 5G, T? Yeah. AT&T. That's, yeah, it was AT&T that did that. They're evolving towards 5G. Uh, I think it's it's misleading advertising at best. But anyway. Yes, a lot of upset, a lot of negative commentary on that one. Yep. So Um, my understanding of, or my reading of the analysis that makes sense to me is that Intel were actually having terrible trouble delivering and that they had gotten quite behind schedule on their chips and that that sort of convinced Apple to swallow their pride and just settle with uh, Samsung. Or, no, sorry, not Samsung, Qualcomm. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that agree with you, Bart, on that. That's a, I see a lot of analysis out there that says exactly that. Um, at the same time, uh, and actually I, I'll send you this article to add in, but there's an article from Reuters about Qualcomm's uh, results because Apple, you know, posted results and then just a couple of days later, Qualcomm did the same. And a lot of people said basically that Qualcomm did not come out as well financially on the deal as would have been expected. So somehow, I, I'm guessing that has to do with the SEC and various trade uh, governmental bodies around the world that have looked at Qualcomm's rather unusual business practices. And have said, you know, this is worth investigating and that that's a pressure point. Um, yeah, it's obviously give and take on both sides. And what we don't know is the details, because what made Qualcomm special is that they didn't charge a royalty per chip they sold to Apple. They charged the royalty as a percentage of the price of the finished product, which means that if you're the maker of a premium cell phone, you have to pay Qualcomm a lot more for the same chip than if you're the maker of a cheap disposable cell phone. And Apple were very, very unhappy with that pricing structure for obvious reasons. Um, and so I wonder if they've managed to negotiate a deal that somehow isn't quite like that. I, I would really love to have been a fly on the wall in those discussions because... Yeah. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Indeed. So the next big thing, main story number two, Apple's Q2 earnings call. Um Linda, you know so much more about this than me. Do you, do you want to give us a, the, 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 the Cliff Notes version of what matters? <laughs> okay. Very brief Cliff Notes uh, version is that Apple beat uh, the earnings expectations. They beat both their own and also that of the analysts. And that varies. I'm not going to give you a figure because that varies depending on which analyst and which whether you're reading uh, Investor's Business Daily or Financial Times or somebody else. Um, But basically they beat. And then what is even more important to the market generally is that they, um, their guidance was higher than was expected by the analysts. So by the, the group, the whole group, the summary. Uh, So that's, that's your briefest of all summaries. Um, I read an interesting article uh, from Seeking Alpha, which is another financial site, where they basically said uh, that Tim Cook managed to dance between the raindrops, was the (laughs) phrasing, 
on this on this particular earnings call. And essentially, what they're saying is is that you know Apple warned back in December, I think it was, or January. Yeah. And um, you know they they warned about that that quarter, the previous quarter. And that is always that is a huge upset from the market standpoint. Anytime any company warns and says we're not going to make what was expected, and then the stock you know goes down considerably and so on, um, and that's true for you know like I said any company. Uh, but Apple is making a transition, as you know many people know, from being solely a products based company to being products a mix of products and services, and that's why. They keep keep emphasizing the services, and this person's point was that that transition will take time, and in the meantime, you want to keep uh, the stockholders happy, and that's this earnings quarter met that goal. So, yeah. now whatever might want to point to. Yeah. So what I always find really useful is Jason Snell over at Six Colors. Yeah those these amazing charts and graphs which puts this current lot of numbers into their bigger context because the numbers in isolation are difficult to judge but Jason plots them well back in time and so you can sort of see the the big picture trend i guess the obvious thing is that when you look at apple's revenue as a pie the iphone may be a shrinking part of that pie but it's still a very big part of that pie at 54% of apple's revenue um Home and wearables have jumped in there at almost 10%, basically 9%, which makes them approximately equivalent in size to the Mac, which is impressive. Right, right. The iPad is no, also... this is seasonal, isn't it? Um, uh, well, Q2 is kind of... seasonal, because uh, uh, Q2, Q3 is all... Um, it's the 7 inch stretch for iPhone with everyone waiting for it to come out in September. Um, right. And then... Uh, uh, and then you've got the same kind of issue with Mac up to um, WWDC. Um, so this is a quiet part of the year for hardware. Do you think that affects yeah. no, consumers, Ewan? You, you I think consumers are waiting for devices. Most certainly, yeah, they know they, a new device comes out in September for iPhone, so why buy one in... Oh, sure, uh, for iPhone. No, no, I wasn't I wasn't yeah. you on iPhone. I'm, just, um, I'm not sure I buy the, the story that this quarter is somehow depressed for Macs. No, it's um, quite the It's not slightly down. And it's been well, slightly down for a couple of years, hasn't okay. it? If you look at well, if you look at Jason's Q two figures, two two factors. One, Apple just released new products with respect to the Mac, just new iMacs in particular, yeah. and, and I believe some some uh, laptops as well. So that always jumps sales. The other thing is is that in the conference call, um, Tim and company were were uh, stressing the fact that they would have had better sales on Macs had they not been constrained uh, from a chip supply uh, perspective. So in other words, they couldn't get enough chips to build enough Macs to meet demand. So I think that has more to do. I don't think the Macs, I mean, since they were just released, the seasonality there would be greater and not less. Um, I think your point's right on, Ewan, about the uh, iPhone, because yeah, some people do uh, buy fewer phones looking for the new one. And I think there's issues around price as well. Yeah, that's they've no addressed that. that. They've addressed well. They've addressed that in some markets. They did, in fact, lower prices uh, in, in China India. and India, right? So, yeah. And they, yeah, they're also really pushing hard on this trade-in thing. And um, I, I guess I, I knew that that was the case outside the U.S., but I walked by an Apple store 
just a few couple days ago, and they have a big sign, you know, bring in your trade-ins, trade in your Mac, and they're emphasizing both um, that being an, a smart ecological move so we can save the planet from, you know, uh, the waste, et cetera, when they get thrown away, and then also um, the, the deal, the financial deal for the customer. Yeah. So. Yeah, now, of course, the annoying thing is that Apple no longer give us numbers of devices sold, so we can only look at revenue. Um, as you sort of scroll through the graphs, what's kind of interesting is that, you know, the, the iPhone graph is fairly wobbly, the iPad graph is fairly wobbly, the Mac graph wobbles like you wouldn't believe. But the graph that isn't wobbling at all, really, is services revenue. That's a really steady little climb. And uh, the wearable and home accessories is also actually a fairly, I mean, it's a bit bristier, but it's still got a fairly solid um, rise to it since 2017, at least. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I think, well, you just had a a keynote on, so, I mean, that's... um... That's going to. You would have thought there was a, a you know an increase going to occur, maybe a, a jump going to occur, but it's not. It's very steady. Um, home accessories. I'm interested why there's a peak in Q1 um, of wearables because um, watch Christmas. Really, Christmas. Christmas that's, that's your Christmas season. It's it's huge as the Christmas. Q1, gift. right? So that's that's going to be yeah. So uh, yeah, and so every Q1 is big, which is basically Apple watches for Christmas. Right. It's oh sorry, yeah sorry it's not Q four for Christmas but it's not as fiscal isn't it so yeah yeah it's fiscal yeah, yeah. quarters Apple Apple yeah, yeah yeah sorry they they do that just to, just to fool you just to yeah well they did it worked <laughs> I didn't Google it you see I should have Googled there you go. I think sort of the the takeaway. So in the call, Apple were at pains to point out how they're you know they were succeeding in um, addressing issues with prices in India and China, and that, that sort of made a point of that. And the markets responded very positively to the results, and uh, yeah. Warren Buffett also responded very positively to the results. Um, but it is still interesting. Uh, a few days before the earnings call, Canalys released their latest numbers in the Chinese market, and the Chinese market as a whole shrunk by three percent. So you have a smaller pie there to fight over anyway. But Apple didn't do particularly well in that fight because really Huawei are the big winners in China. Um, apparently, some companies are asking their employees to boycott non-Huawei or non-Chinese products, um, which is really benefiting Huawei. So they actually grew by ten percent to thirty-four percent of the market in the last. 12 months. So that's not so good. Well, Apple's share has declined by a third. Yeah. That cuts into Apple and Samsung both. Yeah. Yeah. I think Huawei are getting a lot of bad press at the moment, and I don't know how much of it is justified. There was a story I read um, in the register, um, and they were going on about a backdoor in routers, and they were getting ready to, to – they built the story up, so they were getting ready to attack the Chinese market, and they went, oh, no. Cisco's routers. Um, uh, oh, so. oh, oh. But there was also the story about Vodafone in Italy, and the, to me, there's no there there. It's like they, they found a security vulnerability in some software that was patched promptly. That's not a sign of malice, that's a sign of software. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just think that the whole, you know, Huawei's taking a lot of run for security at the moment, and I think the whole, every every manufacturer sits thinking, don't get, don't get, don't find me, don't see me, don't get me get caught. See, the, the the problem with Huawei is that they are under a legal obligation to do things on behalf of the Chinese government under Chinese law. And yeah. they don't have, they have to, they're, they're under a gag order as well. 
and that's just uncomfortable for foreign governments. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it may not be abused, but you just don't know. And that, that that's that's where the that's where the, the well-informed government level angst is coming from. But there's plenty of misinformed hype to try to scare people, and that's there's very little there there that I've been able to find. Tough situation. Yeah. Now, anything else we need to say on the earnings, or, or can we summarize it as basically better than the market expected? Therefore, everyone seems happy. I I think that's a good summary, and I want to add just one more thing. Okay. Um. Big picture, and this is just for people who have the interest, uh, listeners who who care about this sort of thing. Big picture, Apple's transition from uh, being solely a product-based company to being both product and services mm-hmm. um, is worth a lot in terms of market value because service companies are valued more highly generally by the market. So that piece and um, the, the continuing share buyback programs are right. both significant and when a person uh, an investor or just an observer looks at um, apple's results or apple's share price and i'm guessing that's because unlike say iphones where we just talked about how the the refresh rate is slowing down a service renews every month or every year or whatever its period is and the, the, it's just an automatic renewal so it's much more reliable much less bursty than hardware right. sales Right, as as Ken Ray points out, um, you know the market hates uncertainty, and yes. if there's recurring, if there is a, is a quote certainty or something a little bit more certain about recurring revenue, that makes them feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah. So the third main story we have is a whole big kerfuffle that was ignited by the New York Times. Um, I'm going to do my best to lay out the facts here, and then we can discuss the controversy if we wish. So the the New York Times wrote the story basically saying that Apple had unfairly booted a bunch of parental control apps out of the App Store. And they made it sound like a great big anti-competitive hoopla. But factually, what actually happened is that back in 2017, Apple became aware that there were apps misusing, I was probably the best way to say, a feature called MDM that I'll describe in a minute. And they began to tackle it back then. And they have been removing apps. Uh, There was reports I found going back at least as far as last December where there were specific apps being taken down. So Apple would contact the developer, give them 30 days to stop using MDM. uh, Otherwise, they'd remove them from the store. And so there's no, nothing here changed recently in any way, shape, size or form. But the New York Times still managed to release this as if it was news. And then they put a spin on it that they never actually justified. And... To be honest, the critique of their actual journalism here, I couldn't do it nearly as much justice as Rene Ritchie. Um, I've linked in the show notes to his critique on iMore, and it was scathing. I, I was because uh, Rene writes the script and then records them as videos and releases them as audio podcasts. So I was out cycling listening to Rene, and I was like, "Oh, ah, ee. you know, the New York Times—they really <laughs> drop the balls." Stuff like you don't excerpt from official responses for your story from companies, but they left out bits of Phil Schiller's statement, which Apple basically then took the ball into their own hands and released an official statement on their own website where they can't be excerpted. Um, But just for some context here, so MDM is Mobile Device Management. Its function in life is to allow an organization to control the devices that organization owns. 
So the device is enrolled with an MDM server that belongs to the company that owns the device. And that MDM server has complete control over those phones. Like, I mean, total, complete and absolute control. It can install apps, it can remove apps, it can turn on the camera, it can access the photos, it can remote wipe the device. It can do pretty much anything. It can install certificates, enable all sorts of man-in-the-middle snooping. It is designed for an organization to control devices that it owns. What it's absolutely not designed for is to control devices owned by someone other than the person running the MDM server. And that's exactly what these companies were doing. So they, the, the software vendors were running their own MDM server and then getting their customers to enroll the devices that belong to their customers into the developer's MDM server. So you now have a case where to protect your kids, you have given some company you have a, a small relationship for probably not too much money you're giving that company unfettered and total control over your kids' phones. That is a massive risk. And if Apple were to have left that stand, they would be guilty of not protecting children in their store. So they really, really had no choice but to stomp down on this kind of horrific abuse. So to to me, there's just no there there. The story, the, the only thing I'm a bit confused about is why Apple didn't realise from the very first day they started supporting MDM that this was a potential issue. What, why they had to realise after the fact that there was a horse and that it had bolted and then start spending time trying to reel everything back in. I mean, yeah. that's the only question I have out of all of this. What took them so long? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, we know that they changed the App Store rules in 2017, so it's not like they only did this this week or anything. And we know that they were already well, taking up last year. The, Phil's, uh, the statement from Phil Schiller did say that they gave warnings to the uh, developers and asked them to remove it. So they were given opportunity to do the right thing and they didn't. And yeah. then they were, they were hammered for it. So. Okay. Yeah, and Apple have been working on cleaning this up since 2017. You know, so again, this was presented as some sort of big shock news, but this has actually been going on. You know, Apple have been quietly working on fixing this for quite some time. So the, the, the whole thing just... just it's just like, we've got to get some clickbait. We've got to get it against Apple. Will somebody think of the children? <laughs> you know, that's sort of all I can think of, really. And Apple were very clear to point out that this isn't about competition. So the, the other, so the theory was that somehow Apple was being anti-competitive by blocking competition for its free screen time service. I don't get it. Like, that is not in Apple's interest to do that. And Apple were very clear to point out all of the different competitors to Apple products that are all over the App Store. This really is just about safety and security of children, which is kind of important. Mm -hmm. Anyone want to disagree with me or shall we move along? No, I think it was a bit of a non-story. I agree with that. Covered it. We we all came to the same agreement um, that if Apple wants to limit the applications in its its, uh, portfolio of... it's, It's like saying you have to stock a certain item if you have to, you know, why would you stock a dangerous firework? If you don't want to stock it, don't stock it. You know, just because you sell your own fireworks doesn't mean you can't be anti-competitive. And the other thing was there's something like 17 apps and 12 of them were contraventions. So they were asked to remove them. So there's five apps that are out there that are competing with Apple service. So it's it's hardly a closed shop, is it? Yeah, actually, and Apple started in the first paragraph by listing one of the apps as being, you know, doing extremely well in the App Store. That was not obviously one yeah. of the ones removed. So, yeah. Right, so the next story is, if I were into schadenfreude, I would utterly enjoy this next story. But it, 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 as a lover of technology, it makes me very sad. 
So Galaxy, Samsung with their Galaxy Fold was going to be the first to market with a folding smartphone. Um, and they were doing their darndest to race ahead of Huawei and everyone else to get out there absolutely first. And everyone was mocking Apple for not being out, you know, ahead of the curve on this. But that's not Apple's way anyway. Anyway, they released the devices to reviewers in anticipation of their big launch. And it did not go well. The reviewers found, many of the reviewers found that the phones broke very quickly. Uh, in some cases, it was down to the fact that the reviewers pulled off a covering from the screen, which looked like one of those plastic things that's over a phone when it's new and was easy to peel off. And so had to sort of be have a loose flappy bit, but apparently that was a really important thing that you wanted to take off. Uh, but some of it was just down to the devices being extremely unrobust, whatever the, whatever the inverse of robust is. Not well engineered. Yeah, I believe someone called them betas. <laughs> Yeah, prototype. I think prototype was the word. That prototype. Yeah. Uh, and after a few days of embarrassment, the first sort of real embarrassment was when they cancelled their press events. And then very shortly after they admitted the obvious that this thing was not ready for the actual market, they with indefinitely withdrew plans to launch the phone. And they asked all of the reviewers to give the ones they have back, please. And most surprisingly, um, so the wonderful people at um, iFixit got their hands on one indirectly, not from Sam- not from Samsung, but indirectly. And they did a teardown and they posted their teardown and their teardown was like, these are quite fragile. Um, and then they were asked to pull their story and they did. But apparently they weren't asked by Samsung. They were asked by whoever it is gave them the phone, who probably shouldn't have given them the phone. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone needs to calm down. It's like it's an exploding battery. Isn't it? <laughs> at least no, yeah, at least no planes were grounded or anything like that this time. Yeah, I think, well, Google got away with um, selling the G1 for a, over a year and that was uh, that was a beta phone, wasn't it? So, But it wasn't quite um, this bad, was it? It didn't make a lot of calls sometimes. Plus the Android operating system was an absolute bag of wind. So I'm not surprised. They did rush this out to market, and I'm not surprised it's, they've caught a cold on it, but they'll fix it and they'll put it right, and they're still slightly ahead of everyone else. It, it, I mean, on the scale of embarrassments, it's not phone catches fire banned from all airplanes in the world, so yeah. they have bounced back from worse. Perspective, man. Yeah, it does yeah. slightly put Apple's keyboard woes into perspective, I guess. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, I would point for people who are interested in the detail, I would point to during Fireball's analysis, John Gruber's commentary. It's pretty scathing, um, but it's 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 an interesting article, a different, uh, p- yeah. pointing out the difference in culture between Apple and Samsung. Um, you know, and, he, you- and he points to uh, Apple pulling the, oh, the name of the product that was supposed to be the charger, the wireless charger. I forgot. Air the power. Air power. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, pun of the week goes to John Gruber as well. No when to fold them. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Apple a different thing, though. I think that they were so vastly overpriced that they were never going to make any money. It was I see it more like the 5G issue with Intel in terms of, of we've spent too long making this thing. We're now at a price point that is vastly undercut by other charges that – we can't compete against and do just as good a job. 
and what's the point in in going into a production run that costs us millions because it it's not worth having no one's going to buy it yeah, I, I don't believe that fold, was the same thing this is different this is different because i think the, the case of the fold it was never going to be a profit center it was always going to be a lost leader but it was supposed to be the thing to make the brand hip and happening into yeah it's more of a pr stunt it, than than a product yes it's on the bleeding edge of technology for because that's the it's the first foldable device that we've had um uh, not surprisingly it's it's fallen apart but when you're when you're behind the eight ball if you like with um with with that with apple and you're struggling to beat apple to market on something then um, i'm not surprised that other vendors do take shortcuts and this one's bitten them but i think they're still ahead of the curve they're, they'll still come back with a phone that doesn't have that problem before apple come out with something because i think apple will probably now back away from it well, you see, Apple, Apple are never, like, people say, oh, you know, people think that Apple are first, but Apple have never been about being first. Apple didn't make the first um, music player. No, no. They didn't make the first phone. They, they don't make firsts. What they totally make is, yeah. what they make is first but, user-friendly. Like, the Nomad and stuff that came before the iPod was, was geek-friendly, but not human-friendly, whereas Apple made the first human-friendly movie music player. Yeah, but my, my point was there that Samsung thought that Apple would get there first. So they were, every smaller firm or every firm that views itself inferior to Apple is always trying to beat Apple, so they're sure. trying to make it out to market. Whether, that, whether Apple has a history doing that or not, it's about the perception of the company that's coming to market. In this case, though, the race was with Huawei because they have announced their 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 foldable phone that folds the other way. So the, uh, Huawei's one folds around, and Apple, or sorry, Samsung's one folds in, and there was a bit of a race between those two to come to market because Apple haven't announced anything and are unlikely to. Unfold. No, absolutely, and I don't think they will. Yeah, I don't think they will. So the race there was between Samsung and Huawei, which is also a massive rivalry, right? I mean, but in the Chinese market, that's probably more of a rivalry than the Apple Samsung rivalry we see in the West. Yeah. yeah, the Chinese market. Uh, I mean, Samsung is dealing with the same thing that Apple is in the in the sense of uh, it, the perhaps being encouraged by uh, the Chinese government and others to go with Chinese companies and not Korean. You know, mm. so you've got that going on big time. Yeah, because I mean, I, I think we're in danger sometimes of being too West focused, and we think that Samsung is obsessed with Apple, but within the Chinese market, Samsung is obsessed with Huawei and others. And all the, yeah, all the competition, uh, Xiaomi and, yeah. and all, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, I, what struck me is that the culture that led to the phones catching fire was a desire to to beat Apple by having a device that could quick charge uh, better than anything <laughs> Apple were doing. And we know from internal documents that were you know, came out over time that that's pretty much what was going on. They cut corners to get to market quickly, and I had sort of hoped that you know grounding airplanes around the world and stuff would sort of shift the culture a bit. But it seems to me that exactly the same cultural problems have led to this fiasco. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the fifth meta story, I'll call it, um, it just struck me as I was going through my RSS feed to gather together the show notes that there is a lot going on in the streaming market at the moment. It is an extremely dynamic place. And so I think we should spend our last story of the month getting caught up on everything that's going on here in streaming land. So I'm going to quickly rattle through these and then we can, then we can have a bit of a discussion about them and I've rattled through them. 
So from Apple's point of view, starting with Apple Music, Apple have rolled out an improved new version of the For You section. Apple have cut their prices in India quite substantially. And uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, Apple now has more paying streaming music customers in the US than Spotify does in the US. So 28 million for Apple, 26 million for Spotify. However, if you zoom out a little bit, Reuters had some numbers worldwide and things are quite, quite different worldwide with Spotify having twice the number of paid subscribers on planet Earth than Apple Music does on planet Earth. In terms of Apple TV, J.J. Abrams described Apple as being the Wild West, which no one's quite sure how to interpret because some people are going, oh, the sky's the limit, anything's possible, frontier territory. And other people are going, yeah, I remember the Wild West being where people got shot and it was horrible. (laughs) So, not quite sure what JJ was going for there. Um, well, what I, I did see that and thought it was going to be a cowboy film. I, yeah, I thought it was an announcement of a show. I thought, oh, this could be fun. <laughs> Will Smith yeah. pulled another one out. Yeah, I had the theme tune in my head, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wicked, wicked. Uh, what's definitely good news is that Prince Harry is getting together with a certain Miss Oprah Winfrey to make documentary series on mental health, which is... Something uh, HRH Prince Harry has certainly focused on in his public life and certainly something that Oprah can bring the appropriate gravitas to. So I think that could be extremely interesting. <laughs> I love the fact that you've got a member of Oprah brings the gravitas. Well, look, your average HRH does bring gravitas, but <laughs> Prince Harry is very low down the scale of average HRH. Sorry, that's His Royal Highness. Oh, okay. Way, I'm st- I, I actually figured it out. It took me a second, but I figured it out. <laughs> it's like most, yeah. most members of the royal family don't put on Nazi costumes for fancy dress. And oh, you can't hold him. can't steal No, I'm not holding it against him. I, I love his naivete because he was just being an ordinary guy. 19 or something, wasn't it? Yeah, he was. And 19-year-olds do dumb things, and I don't hold it against them. I think it's kind of... I actually think it's very charming that... He's a dad now. He is a dad as of today, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's right. So I guess that means no more flying attack helicopters over war zones. Um, I think Prince Harry's actually probably doing a better job of the PR than his brother is in terms of winning the world over, because he does come across as an extremely genuine bloke. And I know a couple of people who know him, uh, or have met him, rather... Yeah. And they talk very highly of him. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm really pleased he's doing this because I think it does bring an awful lot of weight to it. Yeah, and the, I mean, his involvement in the Invictus Games and stuff proves that point. Yeah, absolutely. And again, so- the relationship between his military career, the Invictus Games and a documentary on mental health, there's a true line through all of that. Hmm. Yeah. Can we give them equal gravitas then? Okay, we'll give them equal gravitas. <laughs> oh, no, 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 don't. No, you're absolutely right. Oprah. The real dominant. Um, I wasn't disagreeing. You, you were just... Okay. It, it is odd. Just that, it was sad. Yeah, <laughs> that the prince is not the one with the most gravitas. But anyway. Oh, exactly. Queen Oprah. Well, she has been referred to that, hasn't she? Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, apparently, we can look forward to Snoopy in Space. Um, that is launching on Apple TV later <sighs> this year. So that could be fun. Apparently, Snoopy was really the first... Man to the moon-ish. Dog to the moon, I guess. Um, apparently he stowed away or something. I look forward to seeing it anyway. the first dog to ever fly a kennel as well as the Baron. So, I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and a lot he, of a lot of firsts. He, he must have invented some sort of anti-grav device because aer- aeronautics are not keeping that kennel in the sky. Exactly. Um, and then the last sort of point on Apple is that Apple Services Division is now worth a stonking $450 billion if you were to break it out as a separate company, which is twice the size of Netflix. That's just their services division. So that sort of puts some interesting scale on things. Meanwhile, switching over to Netflix news, CNN reported from Netflix's own earnings call, so not that much snooping going on here, Um 2.7 million Americans still access Netflix via DVDs in the snail mail for the simple reason that rural broadband in much of America sucks. I was going to say, I, I would have thought that was people who were um, a little bit more remote. Yes. Uh, which, does, which does tell you that there is still a barrier to Apple's service because there is no way that Apple is going to start posting stuff to people. <laughs> no. But I don't think that that's not where the big money is. You know, that's, that's um, Netflix's um, uh, care in the community, isn't it? So obviously those people, otherwise they'd end up uh, shooting each other. They would end up out in the cold, wouldn't they? Yeah, and going mad. And, yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're hold up, again, no stereotypes here. They're holed up in a log cabin all through the winter in Alaska. Um, <laughs> uh, they need a box miles set. from Anchorage. They need a box They've set. They've got to have that exactly. They need catch up, don't they? They've got to have a box set of, of of series one to seven of Game of Thrones or something. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. And now, of course, there is also the fact that it's much cheaper. Like Netflix started off as DVDs in the mail, so it's much cheaper for Netflix not to mothball a service, even if it's quote unquote only used by two point seven million people, which is still a lot of people, than it is for anyone else to go from zero to rolling out a postal service that has a known short shelf life. So I'm not sure it's so much care in the community as I'm sure it's still making money for Netflix, but it's obviously not their future. I can you imagine just receiving a DVD in the post that's seven years old. <laughs> Fetal matter that must be on that. Oh you in I don't want to imagine that now I am. And it, and it's not rewound. <laughs> I remember those days for getting videos from Extra Vision. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, tumbleweed. Yeah, anyway. Joke. Netflix also made me personally very cranky by removing their support for AirPlay mm. in their iOS app. They explained it in some sort of wishy-washy, yeah, well, we can't tell what size your telly is, so we took the feature away because the API isn't good enough. Yeah, but the API was good enough to send the bloody signal to my television. It's none of your business what size it is. I think that's a distribution uh, thing. I think there's some of the content distribution that they've had has told them they've got to do that. Because if you look at a lot of the TV apps that you get, like Sky, that kind of thing, it doesn't allow mirroring, doesn't allow AirPlay to um, yeah, whatever to other devices. Whatever it is, I'm cranky at Netflix because I pay them good money every month. And yeah, but I don't think it's them. Yeah. I think well, they're, 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 they're their deal. They they had it. Now they don't have it, and it conveniently yeah. is just it just happens like within weeks of <laughs> Apple's announcement. I'm I'm suspicious. I think they oh. had it, and then people found out that they had it. said, "Do you know they've got that?" Yeah, well, they went out. Otherwise, not getting any move. All customers who are unhappy about that should express their. Sentiment. I did. I did. Okay. I went straight right. to the App Store, left them a two star review, and went. This will go ah. back up to a four star review when you fix this. Okay. So you've used it for seven years. 
trouble free and the first review is a two star review. No, that's sorry, that's not I true. Think. My first review was a four star review. Then I went in and put in a two star okay, review, enough. expressly saying that fair I enough. used to like the service a lot, but this change has really reduced its usefulness, and that my review will go right back up as soon as they fix it. Good lad, good lad. Now we get it on the podcast. So you get podcast for ten years, and now it's crap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I hate that kind of thing. So I, I'm very careful not to be that guy. Good lad, good lad. Amazon, meanwhile, have also been busy in streaming land. Amazon are launching a free music tier, uh, or a free tier to their music service, which will be available via A-Lady. And they're also apparently prepping a high-fidelity music service to compete with Tidal. And then probably the biggest news of the month in terms of streaming is that Disney have announced Disney Plus, so they obviously got their naming convention from Apple. Um, But they are really aggressively pricing this thing. Uh, it's going to debut yeah, in the US fair. in November, but they're pricing it at six ninety nine with a really quite spectacular back catalogue of stuff. And yeah. then finally, YouTube have announced some new ad-supported original content. Hmm. That's one month's worth of news. Yeah, Disney's stock went up, uh, I believe, a little more than 20 bucks a share based on that news. It was a big jump. Yeah. So people think that's a good that's going to be a moneymaker and that it's going to do extremely well. Someone said there's none of the Marvel stuff in there, but even without that, it was a really, really good offering. I was really impressed with that. And, and much as I don't like subscription services because I've already got them, and, I, you know, it, it, if, I, if I signed up to every subscription service, I went, ooh, at, I'd be bankrupt. Um, yeah. But I was close with this one. I'd be close with this one, very close. People with kids will, will go after this for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's aggressive. Like they—they they are not doing this by half. They are very clearly very serious about this. They got a lot of content that's sitting there doing nothing. It's not selling in the Apple Store because they keep the prices too high. So for them to shove it out uh, and get money from it this way, I think it's very—it's almost like a Nintendo-ish kind of move. Um, yeah. In terms of things like Cinderella, the 1940s, 50s, and 60s animations, that kind of stuff. It's just gathering dust. Let's stick it out there. Let's get some money for it. And I think they'll clean up with it. And I think it's a real smart move. And Nintendo should be watching because everyone wants to play the original Mario. Yeah, yeah a subscription a subscription console service, eh? You know, if Apple can yeah. get away with the subscription gaming but service, I, I, I've been saying it for, for five years. And, and Nintendo, whilst they've dribbled a few things out, they've seriously missed the boat. They have, and their games, it's all about the gameplay. So you don't need massive high-end CPUs. Like, they could play on an Apple TV absolutely oh, yeah. perfectly. Absolutely. And I would I would pay. I mean, I have I have bought all of the old DOS games I used to like because um, they're still available for sale for $5 each. So all the, all the old Commander Keens and stuff. I actually bought a legal copy of a shareware game. Never did that in my youth. Just copied them <laughs> off my mates, but I did it in my adultness. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, they're emulated, but so what? They're still great crack. Right, let us finish up with a quick rundown of some other Apple news that wasn't worthy of being a main story. Um, Those of us in the UK, Ireland, Hong Kong, Singapore and a few other places who have three-pinned or three-pronged plugs need to be a little bit careful of the old Apple ones because apparently six people around the planet have been shocked by them. Um, There's an official recall, a link in the show notes. Uh, if they have a grey bit as well as a white bit, they're fine. If they're all white, they're not fine. And you should get Apple to hand you a new one for free. 
Um, I had to rummage around and I found I have so many spare plugs that I took all of the not, all of the ones without the grey and threw them in the bin and I have more than enough grey ones to tide me over. So I'm not going to bother me backside because there's no Apple store in Ireland. Grr. Um, <laughs> but anyway, if you're if you're in the UK, etc., do, do check your Apple plugs. I don't know if that affected you, Ewan. Uh, all of mine. The, so the grey is the change, isn't it? The white one is fine. The grey is, is changed with the dimples on the side. Um, the, the capsule type shape on the side is the one that needs changing. But all of mine look like that. And I, I, uh, I come back to six people worldwide have been shot by them. Okay, that's not great. I totally admit that. But it, I don't think they're into call terrorists. I don't think they should have done it. But but good on them for doing it. Well done, Apple. Yeah. And by the way, grey good, no grey bad. No, grey is... No, so no, I'm, these looking, things, I'm, I'm on it, Apple's website looking at the picture. So I'm looking on the iMore and the ones with the dimples are bad. So, okay, so customers can exchange their affected AC wall adapter above 100% pure white and very thick for the new ones uh, that are not affected and they're the ones with the dimple that are thin with the grey bit. Oh. So does that mean that you're good or bad? That means I'm good. You're good, so I, much. Yeah, I have lots of Well, I don't know I'm good, though, because I've got... It's the, okay, it's the thick one, too. I think I got, I've read that. Yeah, well, I'm on Apple's website, so I'm getting it from the horse's mouth. Um, no, that's fine. Yeah, I'm on there. I'm wrong. Yeah, which is great, because I stopped using the thick ones because they're all chunky and ick. I started using the thin ones because they're thin and nice. So, good on yeah. me. I've been saving my own life, apparently, all this time. So I'm going to go and see if I can find a thick one now, because... I think the whole in, I think all of mine have ended up in the landfill years ago because mine all have the, the yeah. dimple and the grey bit. So anyway, yes, if you're picture link in show notes, pictures in show notes, don't become the seventh. <laughs> There's a show title. Yeah, ex- except for the fact that I'm really boring you, and my show title is April 2019. Oh, yes, I'm afraid with a monthly show you do strange things. Anyway. Um, Beats have announced the their their new um, basically I can't believe it's not an AirPod their latest uh, Beats Pro wireless headphones with an H1 chip two hundred and forty nine dollars and ninety five cents shipping in May apparently they're very nice Apple have dropped the price of the HomePod to two hundred and ninety nine dollars down from three hundred and forty nine Apple have dropped the ninety nine dollar migration fee for new Macs if you want to get Apple to move your stuff over for you. Um, just a little PSA for those of you like me who are extremely fond of Aperture. It is not going to run on versions of macOS after the current one, i.e. after 10.14 Mojave. So if you need to do an export, say export all of your versions to, say, a 16-bit TIFF or something to keep them safe, you probably should do that between now and September when you're going to be getting OS 10.15 Venice Beach or whatever they're going to call it. Um, a quick round out of Apple Pay news. JC Penny have removed support for Apple Pay and every other version of contactless payment, not because they have anything against Apple Pay, it turns out. The initial stories were a bit confused on this one. JC Penny then clarified, their terminals are so old and poopy that Visa told them to stop using them because they're not secure, and they went, oh, well, let's not upgrade our terminals, let's just disable the NFC feature because that was the bit that was really, really insecure. So 
basically couldn't be bothered joining the 21st century, no more contactless payment for you. Um, in the UK, meanwhile... Sorry. Uh, just one quick comment about JCPenney. They are not a company that's doing particularly well. I'll just leave that there. They're not doing well as a company, so they don't have uh, a lot of spare change to fix anything. So, yeah, I, I never will understand how America is trailing the world in credit card technology. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that, that's another issue entirely. It's, it's just JCPenney just is not going to be up to date regardless. So, Ron Johnson left. That was a big downfall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he was ago. so good in Apple. Um, meanwhile, compare and contrast with the United Kingdom, um, Tottenham Hotspur are, are opening up their fabulous new stadium, and it is all cashless. Apple Pay, Google Pay, you name it, it is a cashless stadium. Come on, Bart, be honest, you have no clue who Tottenham Hotspur are. Oh, they're a UK soccer team. Oh, well Tottenham. done, mate. You read that then. No, no, you have no idea how culturally massive the Premier League is in Ireland. All no right, one supports okay. Irish football teams. Like Shamrock Rovers, no one gives a bleep. You're either no. a Man U fan or a Liverpool fan or an Arsenal fan or an Aston Villa fan. Or Seriously, the jerseys that walk around our high street are the same ones you guys have. They're your jerseys. Just not the England jersey. That one you don't tend to see. But all the right. Premier League ones, they're all over the place here. Okay, mate, I stand corrected. No, it, I find it hilarious because the Irish pretend to hate the English and at every turn they are completely addicted to English television, they are completely addicted to English football. It's, I find it hilarious as an outsider looking in. Um, Apple Pay Transit is continuing to expand, now accepted in Singapore. There's testing underway in New York City and uh, Chicago and Portland are apparently on their way as well. Um, Apple Pay comes to Uber Eats in nearly 20 markets. Uh, Credit Suisse have managed to get a deal with Apple Pay, so that means Apple Pay is going to arrive in Switzerland shortly. Apple Pay has arrived in Austria. And uh, just announced today, the UK government are going to be accepting Apple Pay and Google Pay to pay for certain government services. And then finally, finally, Apple continues to make progress in their environmental goals. They are set to beat their own optimistic green energy targets. They have announced more recycling, including a new plant in Austin. And they have partnered with Conservation International and local Colombian communities to protect the Earth's carbon-trapping coastal mangroves. So they're saving the mangroves to save humanity. And that brings us to the end of a month's worth of Apple News. Panel, thank you ever so much for giving up your time on this, well, normal Monday evening or afternoon for you, Linda, and this holiday uh, for those of us in the UK and Ireland, Ewan. And Ewan, you get a double big thank you for jumping in at the last minute to help me out. So tip of the hat and thank you very much for that. Much appreciated. Pleasure, mate. You help us out enough. It's the least I could do. Well, look, I appreciate it. So thank you. Um... Actually, you may as well take the lead there. Would you like to let the good listeners know what the URL is to catch up on all the cool stuff you do online? Yeah, uh, the network is BritishTechNetwork.com. Um, you can listen to all the podcasts there. Um, we've got RSS feeds, and you can find us in the app uh, in the uh, in store as well. Um, you can follow me uh, at Ewan Rankin on Twitter, and you can follow the network at British Tech as well. Uh, do you want to spell Ewan for people? Yeah. E-W-E-N, Echo Whiskey, Echo November, Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N. 
Excellent. And I do like a man who can speak his phonetic alphabet fluently. <laughs> no, seriously, it's, I find that excruciatingly useful when you're on tech support. I do a lot of work in the rail industry, so you, you get tested on it regularly and you have to spell out names and stuff like that for signals and that kind of stuff. It's not, I, I don't get yeah. away from it. Yeah, I, I, at this stage, I'm pretty much, um, you know, it says, you know, what's your surname, Bouchot, spell that? Bravo Uniform Sierra, Sierra Charlie Hotel, Oscar Tango Sierra. <laughs> I've, no, I've been to places before. E W, and they they write an E, and then they'll write two U's. What? Double and you're U. Like, what? <laughs> double U, and they're like, because the E's thrown them for a start, and then they put double U, and I'm like, no, double U, and they went, yeah, I've put two. Down. No, double U, <laughs> as in what? Oh, oh, right, yeah, yeah. Echo whiskey, echo November. Can't go wrong. Anyway, Ewan, thank you. Um, Linda, do you want to give out any links to the good listeners? Um, I think just svmug.org, which is svmug is Silicon Valley Mac user group. And also a a brief but enthusiastic shout out to Allison, who uh, presented for us remotely last time and did an excellent job helping us learn about editing tools in photos. Um, But but we're there every month and um, we we have some really good presenters and Allison uh, did a stellar job. Um, I believe over the years you've also had other people that listeners of this show will be used to, like Chuck Joyner, I believe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But don't tell Allison that. (laughs) They have a a teeny bit of a rivalry going on there. Yes, (laughs) Yeah, just a bit. But others as well. We're talking about Allison. We are indeed. Yes. Love of my life. Yeah, yeah, she's (laughs) awesome. Delighted to hear that. Now, um, I need to apologize to the supporters of this show because I made a boo-boo back in at the end of last month. I made a boo-boo. So I tell everyone who supports the show on Patreon there will be exactly two Patreon bills coming to you every month. One Apple, one photography. Last month there were... Actually, the month before last there were three and last month there were one because... I got a little bit too trigger happy and put through last month's Let's Talk Apple on the 31st of the month before. Now, most people have limits set up on their uh, Patreon, which means that I didn't end up costing people more money than they were expecting. What I did instead was deprive myself of half my income for April, which is my own fault and it's very silly of me it doesn't mean I'm going to have a teensy bit of a problem paying all the server bills this month but I'm sure I'll struggle through um, so apologies to anyone who has billed more than they were expected because of my idiocy and I'm still cranky at myself for having done myself out of half my income for the podcast for April because that's just dumbness on my part so thank you to the people who support the show despite my whoopsies um, the Patreon people really help keep the lights on. There's also a PayPal button, which I use that money to invest in software, hardware, those kind of things. And that is extremely helpful. So I really appreciate it. And there are also affiliate links where if you are the kind of person who likes Linux virtual hosting and all such goodness, then if you get that from my affiliate link to DigitalOcean, when your spend goes above $50, you will get some free money from DigitalOcean and I will get some free money from DigitalOcean, which is great. Um, there is also an affiliate link for Hover, which is a domain registrar. So if you're the kind of nerd who likes to register domain names, if you use that affiliate link, I will get a little bit of a thank you from Hover for sending you their way. Unfortunately, you won't get anything more than a great service and a nice domain name. 
finally, the way that everyone can support the show is just to tell your friends about it and review the show in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Thank you again to the panellists for giving of their time. You will find the detailed show notes at lets.talk.ie. I've been your host, Bart Bouchas. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. This is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, the show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the MyMac Podcasting Network 